you know, safety is such a fundamental prerequisite for travel and people take for granted how safe our world has been. I've been saying this for a long time and I was expecting to see a lot more fire, but I wasn't expecting to see it this quickly. You know, local knowledge is critical here. listening to Think Revelstoke, a show about the future of tourism in Revelstoke and the greatest challenges of today's tourism destinations, along with their most inspiring solutions. We're speaking to you from beautiful Revelstoke, British Columbia, a city on the territory of four nations where we live, work and adventure, the Sinaiks, the Shwetmek, the Silks and the Tunaha. I'm Rodney Payne, CEO at Destination Think. And I'm Robin Goldsmith, Destination and Sustainability Manager at Tourism Revelstoke. As part of this podcast, we're reaching out to industry experts and leaders in other destinations to hear their perspective on how we can manage tourism for a better future. Today, we're speaking with Mike Flanagan, British Columbia Research Chair in Predictive Services, Emergency Management and Fire Science at Thompson Rivers University. So Mike, we'll, we'll start with a big question. Is wildfire a risk for Revelstoke? Absolutely. It's a risk for almost anywhere in British Columbia and Canada. A recipe for a wildfire is simple. You need three ingredients. First, vegetation. We call it fuel. How much, what type, how dry, all important aspects. Second, ignition. People and lightning are the two common ones. And third, hot, dry, windy weather. You get all three, you get a fire. And Revelstoke is surrounded by lovely conifer forests, primarily conifer forests. And these are extremely flammable. So yes, Revelstoke is at risk. How high? That's a good question um, because we really don't have a national assessment of fire risk yet for Canada. It's, it's being worked on. But having been through Revelstoke, I would say the risk is quite high. Yes. So following on that, could you just tell us a little bit about your credentials, expertise, and, and what it is that you do? Sure. So first, um, as mentioned, that long title you gave, I'm at Thompson Rivers University, but I'm a fire guy. I've been studying fire for over four years and I'm in Kamloops joining you today uh, remotely. And I just want to mention that Kamloops is the home of the Shwampum people. It's unseated and their traditional territory. So I've been interested in fire and weather since I've been alive. Part of my summers were spent in a small town in Alberta and they burned trash. They had a 45 gallon drum. And so I all always volunteered to take the trash out so I could burn it. So I was always burning. Eventually, uh, you know, I grew up, but I still am a pyromaniac. Basically, I love fire. Um, I worked for the Canadian Forest Service for about 35 years studying fire. The University of Alberta for about 10 years studying fire. And then now I'm at Thompson Rivers University studying fires, weather, climate change. The excitement in your voice when you talk about fire is a little frightening. Let me change the topic to tourism quickly. We're in the process of building a long-term plan for tourism management in Revelstoke. And this show that we're producing is running in parallel so that we can bring learning in and share it with our community. Although there are a lot of other weather events in BC that are being amplified by climate change, 
and repercussions like landslides, closing highways and leaving grocery stores empty. Today, we're talking about wildfires as one example of how climate change is relevant to Revelstoke's future. There's been a lot of smoke here in recent summers. In 2021, we had ash falling from the sky. Mike, if there's anyone that can advise on what the future of forest fires might look like, it's you. Picture summer in 2073, 50 years from now. If you had to guess, what's our summer like? So maybe I'll guess for the decades rather than individual year, because even in the future, there'll still be a lot of year to year variabilities. Some summers will be hot, dry, and smoky, and some will be cooler, wetter, and nice, clear blue skies. But we're going to see more fire, more smoke, and more years with fire and smoke in the future as compared to the past. So we're on a trajectory. Some people like to say the new normal. I don't like that term because it makes it sound like we're on a plateau in a steady state. No, we're, we're on a trajectory going down. Um, but you know, I, I do want to put some context in this because I've had people contact me saying, I've just been offered a job in Kamloops. I'm worried about coming because of smoke. And you know, it's a valid health concern because the more we know about wildland fire smoke, the more we found out how bad it is for us. But there are things you can do when we do get those smoke episodes is you have home air purifiers. If your furnace doesn't have a good one, you can just buy portable ones. And it does a really good job of keeping things. And during those really heavy smoke episodes, which normally don't last the whole summer, though, you know, who knows with climate change, but you know, during those really bad periods, air quality health index, as Environment Climate Change Canada calls it, if it's nine plus or 10 plus, you know, no strenuous activities outdoors, that means no baseball or, you know, mountain bike riding really is. But the number of days, it, it's really a really small number of days. It will increase with time, but, you know, it's just something we have to live with. Fire is not going to go away because we'll always have those three ingredients, okay? Vegetation, ignition, and conducive weather. So we have to learn to live with the smoke um, and be prepared for it. Yeah, it's tourists don't want smoke. And I don't blame them. You lose the vista and, of course, the health issues. And so there's going to be more fire and more smoke. But not every year is going to be a bad fire season. This year, for example, we only had a couple of days of light to moderate smoke. It wasn't anything like 2021, which was quite a long lasting smoke event. Um, so that's a long rambling <laughs> talk about the 2070s, but the bottom line is more fire and more smoke, but that doesn't mean that you, you cannot enjoy the great outdoors. Right. Yeah. You mentioned um, that it's a health risk to do strenuous activities and it compromises the vistas, which is really um, in Revelstoke what what we trade on but but there but there is winter of course where you know we don't get the smoke in winter and you get those beautiful vistas and skiing so there's you know the other three seasons so we've got active fires it's october okay and we've got active fires burning right now in british columbia alberta northwest territories so and this is really weird okay to have fires this late in the season but generally three of the four seasons you don't, you don't have a smoke issue. So it's only the summer problem. So should it continue um, 
continue on the trajectory that it's continuing on, which seems inevitable. I guess uh, what what you'd suggest is that we traffic a little more in our in our winter vegetation and shoulder seasons rather than purely in the summer. Yeah, I think that'd be a good strategy. And you know, the shoulder seasons may be milder, like what we're seeing now, and very pleasant. So yeah, promote the other seasons. What does the journey from 2022 to 2073 look like? Do you see a, a linear progression in in terms of climate and, and particular forest fires? Do you, do you think it'll accelerate? What what when you look into your crystal ball, what do you see? It's, it's scary. Okay. It, it's a really scary crystal ball because what's really important about fires, it's driven by the extremes. We would say the tail wags the dog. Okay. And I'll give you some examples. Um, in Canada, and I imagine this is probably true of British Columbia as well. 3% of the fires burn 97% of area burn. So it's a relatively small number of fires that cause all the issues. Elephant Hill fire, you know, you can name some of them, uh, other ones across Canada, Fort McMurray fire, etc. cetera. Um, they make the news because they're really big. Those extreme conditions, and we're seeing changes in extremes more rapidly than average conditions. And what we've seen in British Columbia, 2017, 2018, 2021, in terms of area burned, are the top three since 1950. And, you know, I've been saying this for a long time, and I was expecting to see a lot more fire, but I wasn't expecting to see it this quickly. Okay. So, Things are moving more rapidly than I was expecting, and I like probably many others. What we've been seeing the last you know five six years is I was expecting late twenty thirties or twenty forties, and here it's here it is already. So yeah, a lot more fire coming, and you know I get the question. Well, if we get a lot more fire, trees won't be able to regenerate, and that's true. Okay. If we get frequent fire, trees will disappear. But the question is, well, what replaces it? And all right, in our valleys in Kamloops here, we, we don't have trees except for urban areas or by the river. It's grasslands, sage, shrublands, but it still burns. Okay, so fire is not going away. The vegetation may change, and that's not good for tourism uh, because, you know, we love our trees and the forests and, you know, the wildlife associated with, with these forest but yeah a lot more fire coming but once again not every year um, there will be years that will be quite quite nice um, but temperatures are going to go up and up and up rebels it's a little bit cooler than places like Kamloops where we had 50 some days above 30 degrees Celsius this year uh, warmest summer on record um, and what is a warmest summer on record in the 2020s will be a cooler, much colder than 2070s or 2050s, where we're going, we're warming quite rapidly, especially in the summer. And uh, so heat's going to become an issue. So air conditioning, it's pretty well the norm here in Kamloops, but in Revelstoke, it probably hasn't been, but may be coming the norm with the future heat. Sorry, that's what it looks like. No, that's good. Probably good development advice is to start thinking about things like installing air conditioning. Heat pumps. Yeah. Right. For sure. So I'll, I'll mention one other thing. Um, every community needs emergency management plan. Okay. And some cities like Metro Vancouver 
have a really excellent plan, okay? Not just for fire, for floods, for earthquake. I'm not sure if Revelstoke has one. They should. But you see, Metro Vancouver has lots of resources and funding to do this kind of work. The smaller the community, the less resources, personnel, and financial to do these things. And this is where the province or the, the federal government should step in and do these assessments so we could have an idea when you ask the question, how big is the risk of fire, wildfire, and Revelstoke? <laughs> you know, yeah, well, I say it's a risk, but I, I can't quantify it for you at this time. Right. You're you're uh, anticipating our questions beautifully, <laughs> um, because the next uh, the next thing I was going to mention is is the travel uh, is booming and it's expected to double by 2030. Um, so we have travelers coming to town who don't necessarily think about emergency preparedness as part of their travel experience. Uh, they're on vacation and they're they're ready to relax. Um, so last year, for example, when the highways washed out, um, we had a lot of people who are what we call rebel stuck um, and weren't really prepared uh, for that experience. So um, it sounds like I know what your answer is going to be, but are there likely to be more emergency events of that scale in the future? Yes, unfortunately, there are. Though hopefully we'll get our act together. I mean, there's been kind of two separate streams. One has been looking at disaster risk reduction, another one looking at climate change adaptation, and they're two stovepipes, and they haven't been working together. So when we build highways, we say, oh, look at the last 30 years, the last 50 years, design a highway to deal with, you know, any kind of flooding from that event. Whereas we really have to look at climate change and say, oh, you know, what kind of precipitation and flood-like events can we expect in the next 30 or 50 years and build the highways and culverts for that plan so we'll have less washouts or we'll be more resilient. You know, our infrastructure needs to be more resilient, taking into account, you know, climate change and the impacts of climate change on infrastructure, whether it's cell towers or power lines or roads, but yeah, there will be more disruptions, even with the best plans, there will be times when things fail. We're seeing that down in Florida at the moment, where you know, massive events can take entire communities offline. And, you know, we're not necessarily prepared yet for the world we've created. What do you think is the role of a tourism board when you think about emergency planning and, you know, the, the variability of, of weather extremes in any given year uh, when it comes to the climate crisis? You know, I, I think, you know, in any kind of information, you should have what the hazards or risks are for that location and for that time period. It's seasonal, okay? Like in winter, you might be concerned about avalanches. In summer, fires, floods. So you have to make the traveler aware of these risks. And it would be nice if you had some sort of communication center in the case of the emergency you will find relevant information at this site whether it's twitter facebook or uh, phone number what have you okay just so that when if something happens that people know where to look for information timely information is critical in emergencies and, and part of the problem is a lot of things we rely on fail okay power when a fire enters a community, municipal power is the first thing to go. Municipal wires pressure is the next thing to go. So, and cell towers can be overloaded or burned down. 
So you have to have a plan that's somewhat <laughs> resilient to the potential uh, emergency. And even things, simple things like having sirens, okay, um, they, they work unless you're deaf, okay, um, for, for short distances. I mean, they still use them for tsunami warnings. They still use them for tornado warnings. You know, they're, they're quick fix. Um, but informing the traveler what to do in a case of emergencies is, is critical. I grew up in a small town in Australia and I still, as you say, sirens, I can, I can still remember the, the fire warning sirens growing up and how effective they were. There was only a thousand of us, but everybody knew exactly what that meant and what to do. And I think that's, that's a really good reminder about less modern communication when things fail. Yeah, I had a similar experience actually in Christchurch during the earthquake is that everything power went out and we realized the best thing to do was to have our radio in the car and just have the car on, so. Batteries, batteries for radios and things <laughs> exactly. too. That's, yeah, portable chargers, battery packs for phones and things like that, so yeah. Is there anywhere, you mentioned that, that Metro Vancouver has a great um, emergency management plan. Um, are there any specific examples of, of practices that you think uh, might be really good to implement uh, in a place like Revelstoke that you've seen elsewhere? So if you haven't already looked at FireSmart, FireSmart BC, FireSmart Canada, there are seven principles that help homeowners and communities make their communities more fire resilient. A lot of it's common sense, uh, but um, you know, it's good to take these into account. So many people may not realize this, but a fire often enters a community, not through the, you know, the flame front, but you know, in advance of that flame front, the wind carries, <clears throat> excuse me, the wind carries burning embers a kilometer or even two kilometers in advance of the fire front. And so you get this rain of burning embers. And if you saw a video from Fort Murray or the Litton fire, you know, so this rain of burning embers comes down to find something flammable and whether it's a shrub or needles in your eavesdrop, wherever it finds a foothold, a beachhead, and then starts spreading structure to structure. So by making your homes more resilient, don't have shrubs right against your house, um, especially conifer shrubs, you know, just keep anything flammable away from your house and places in California, they have legislation that you cannot have any flammable material within five feet of your house, 1.5 meters for, for Canada. Um, so fire smart, fire smart Canada, take a look, Revelstoke, I don't know, Revelstoke may be a fire smart community already. And part of that is, you know, dealing with fuel adjacent to the community, especially conifers, which are highly flammable. It, it doesn't mean you have to remove the forest. Don't get me wrong, because people love their forest and some of the tourists are there for the forest, but thinning the forest. So if a fire does happen, it's not this high intensity fire that is difficult to impossible to extinguish, but a surface fire that fire management can deal with. So we have, um, just in my neighborhood, there are a couple of um, those little blocks of demonstration forest where they've thinned out the underbrush. Is that, um, is that management technique effective, do you think? Yes, it is effective. Um, though you have to do a big enough swath around the community because the fire will just go around if it's not completely done. And 
you know, fire, as I mentioned, those burning embers will still jump over the fire line, okay, or those treatment areas. So you still have to take care of, you know, things in town, even you say, oh, I'm a couple blocks from the forest, I don't have to worry. Oh, yes, you do have to worry. <laughs> because the burning embers can travel a couple blocks easy, or even farther, as I mentioned, or you know, the, the first row of houses starts burning and then it burns into the second row and to the third street, Forest Street, and just what's happened in Fort McMurray, Lytton, you know. So, yeah, you are at risk. So every, and the issue here is you're as strong as your weakest link because you're on a block. Everybody does everything right except for one person. And that burning embers, it's opportunistic. Fire is probing. It's looking for a place to burn. It finds one place and then you can burn from house to house to house. So it's important that, you know, it's a community effort to make your your town more resilient. Mike, one of my very first jobs nearly just over 20 years ago now uh, was working for a ski resort in Australia. And it's hard to picture melted chairlifts and burned out snowcats, but the ski resort was burned down during the megafires a few years ago. I've heard other, other stories of tourism businesses in areas that had never burned before up in, you know, tropical rainforests in Queensland, uh, burning down and now losing insurance uh, because of it. When you think about infrastructure risk and laws like California's five metre vegetation from property law, a prop and um, and other things like that. What do you what do you see for us here in BC and Canada as as our systems evolve to um, to catch up with the the new climate that we're we're facing and living in? What do you what do you think of the the tourism industry and you know the residents that live in destinations like Revelstoke? Well, every situation is you know, should be looked at separately. It's all about context. So we, we can't compare Banff for Jasper to Revelstoke, um, different climate, possibly different vegetation. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So you have to look at Revelstoke, you know, local knowledge is critical here. So, you know, there's a lot of knowledge in your community, make use of it, but you also have to look forward in time to say, you know, we, we know what the challenges are today you know, how much different are they going to be tomorrow and next decade and two decades and plan accordingly. It, it's, you know, no one has a, a completely accurate crystal ball. We, we have guesses of what may be happening and, you know, and things are changing, but it's changing more rapidly than we first thought. And so our best guesses may not be all that great. And, you know, and you asked about whether it's linear, it's probably not linear and it may just take a, a huge turn at some point uh, for the worse. And uh, we, we have to deal with it. So be a Boy Scout, be prepared. Um, what does that mean for tourist industry? You probably know better than, than I do, but knowing your hazards and future risks you can be in a better shape to deal with it. And governance is a real problem for fire because it can be some issues are local municipal issues, bylaws, et cetera. Some are provincial and some are federal. 
uh, building uh, materials, building codes. Parts of those are provincial. Some of them are actually federal as well. So it's a real mess. And of course, then there's the insurance industry. And we're now starting to see places around the world where insurance companies say, no, you're in too high of a risk, whether it's from flood or fire or what have you, and say, no insurance. Um, how does that affect the tourist industry or the economy of a community? It's a consideration that you may have to take into account. Insurance underpins more than I think a lot of people realize when it comes to our, our financial structures. Are you seeing changes already in Canada or even BC as it relates to you know the intersection of your work and insurance? I this is part of an area where you know my experience is more limited, but what I am hearing is you know there's insurance companies and then there's the reinsurers and, and so they're providing the financial base and they're taking lots of hits and, and not just from fire but from flooding and hurricanes etc and it, it's become to the point where it may not be as viable and either costs are going to go way up or people they will stop providing insurance and for floodplains or fire prone areas and just say nope you're no insurance so you have to risk it on your own which is huge you know the, there are times where if it's a broad scale emergency widespread often the governments provincial states states federal bail you out but you know as this happens more and more you know the the wallets or the purse may start to get empty and they, they will stop bailing people out some of my worst fears are that you know fire season will be bad almost every year okay it'll be the exception to have a good year rather than you know what it is now uh, i hope i'm wrong and i hope you know we get our act together as society and it's going to take a whole of society approach and not just canada not just bc not just rebel stoke it's going to take a global community it's going to take industry to, to get this done all right Here's, here's another scary part. If even if we stop producing greenhouse gases today, okay, just say, hey, magic wand, we, we've got hydrogen working for everything now, no greenhouse gases. We'll continue to warm for 20, 30, maybe even 50 years because there's lags in our climate system, particularly the ocean. Um, so we're going to continue to warm, even if we had that silver bullet, which we don't. The future is scary. I think it's uh, it's good to have to have that real dose, though, of, of warning. And, and as we move into planning for um, what tourism might look like 50 years into the future, that we know emergency management just needs to be a big part of that. Like you said, we're not going to be waving a magic wand um, and getting rid of emissions altogether. So it's important to consider how that looks. Emergency management, there's different phases. Uh, prevention, mitigation, preparedness, response, recovery. And, you know, to help with wildfire, more prevention and mitigation is where we should be spending money, okay? Human-caused fires, they're all preventable. And 50% of our fires in Canada and in British Columbia are human-caused. So if we can deal with those, that's a big step forward. Mike, I do have one last question. You mentioned variability on an annual basis affecting summers in particular uh, 
are there any ways to know ahead of time whether we're going to be in for a, a bad fire season or if it may be less smoky? How far out can you can you start to predict those things? So seasonal forecasts are for weather are available. They don't have much skill yet, exception being El Nino, um, Enzo years. Yeah, they, they do have an influence on our weather, though it's more pronounced in winter, and that's not our fire season. Um, so hopefully in a decade or two, we'll have an early warning system to say, hey, it looks like a bad fire season. So, uh, you know, fire bans, even forest closures, also very not popular because no industry, no recreation in the forest during those extreme days. But it's just a few days that are, are the issues normally. So we can be better prepared to for the upcoming fire season, but that's still a decade or two away. Is there does, does sort of spring spring rainfall and precipitation have much of a bearing? So this is a, a question I get asked all the time. Oh, we had a wet, cold spring, so it means we're, we're not going to have a fire problem. And the reality is, okay, you walk out in the forest in Revelstoke, unless it's in a wetland. Uh, Give me a week of hot, dry, windy weather, and you'll be crunching through that forest, and you'll be dry as a bone, and the fire can spread like wildfire. It's very flammable within a week. So, yeah, it, a cold, wet spring or a wet spring means it may not burn while it's wet, but after a week of drying, it's ready to burn. Maybe that's just something we say to comfort ourselves when spring is really atrocious. Um, thanks so much, Mike. This has been incredibly insightful. Um, I know we haven't actually talked a ton about um, emergency management going into our destination management planning, and I think it's a really important angle to ensure that we cover. My pleasure chatting with you both. I do really like Mike's practical approach. I think as we plan for the future, just acknowledging that no matter what happens with emissions reduction, temperatures are going up for decades, I think is important. Thinking about tourism's role in emergency management is going to be really important, but also thinking about what could the tourism industry or perhaps funding we can get do to fast track emergency planning and, and help with that. And especially, you know, our industry is very adept at communication. Can we, can we help with that? So I know that's, you know, issues being raised by some councillors at the moment around uh, that here in Revelstoke. Yeah, I think he has a, a very real picture for us. Um, and we're certainly seeing snippets of, of what the future might look like in terms of wildfire. I think it's become very real for a community. Um, and we often talk about trying to reduce emissions and, and making sure that we have a more environmentally friendly industry. But uh, what I really took away there is that emergency management is the key and that the reality is we may not have a summer tourist season. If we're, if we're trafficking in outdoor experiences, um, Revelstoke being a mountain destination for people who really want to get after it, that the summer may not be the time that we're doing that. And I, it, it hadn't really occurred to me the potential opportunity as dark as it seems to be planning for this sometimes, uh, you know, if summer's taken offline, 
regularly in successive years. What happens to our brand over time, but also what happens um, to the seasons outside of summer and do we need to be preparing for increased visitation uh, out, you know, before or after what will probably become known as forest fire season? Yeah, and I mean, a, a lot of the reason that visitation in Revelstoke is not so popular in, in October or November um, is that the temperatures are cooler and, and it's pouring rain, but we're seeing so much variability in the seasons. Right now it's uh, October 3rd while we're recording this and it's a gorgeous day with a high of 25 or something. It's it's the kind of summer day that I grew up with in Vancouver that I love. So uh, there is a lot of opportunity to to move into the shoulder seasons or what are now the shoulder seasons um, as our prime tourist season. There's a neighborhood in Florida called Babcock Ranch and there's news reports coming out just after Hurricane Ian went through where um, this suburb was remarkably uh, untouched and it's been designed uh, as a sustainable community for events like this. They're one of the only places that hasn't lost power, even though the hurricane went right over the top of them. And when I think about future economic development, as people leave places that are vulnerable to climate, where are they going to move to? Right? They're going to look to places that are prepared for emergencies and have thought carefully about future development. And you know, if you're relocating your business somewhere, you're going to want to move it to a place where it's going to be offline less. I wonder how that affects tourism going forward as well. Are you, you know, safety is such a fundamental prerequisite for travel and people take for granted how safe our world has been, both in terms of, you know, violence and conflict, but also quite stable in terms of weather events. And I wonder how trip planning will be impacted both by perceptions of safety in a place at different seasons, but also, uh, understanding how prepared a community is uh, for extreme events, forest fires in this case, and how prepared the tourism board is with information and to support people in you know times of crisis. Right. I think getting at uh, safety and emergency preparedness as, as a branding exercise as well, ensuring that the world sees Rattlestoke as, as somewhere that they can go and that they'll be well taken care of even should the worst happen. Mike mentioned uh, thinning forests being an effective strategy if it's done well and being a fire safe community, being really effective if every single house is on board, but the weak link can create the environment for burning embers to get into the urban interface and then jump from structure to structure. That would be one aspect of building our brand, right, is, is being, you know, very proactive in those ways so people know that if they do travel here, uh, we're, we're ready and prepared and the community is, has thought ahead of this. Yeah, I think it even goes beyond um, tourism and into economic diversification as well as, as you talked about that um, community in Florida having access to power. And uh, we talk about the rise of tech in, in small towns with people um, moving to towns like Revelstoke for the lifestyle. Uh, and what better way to attract business than to say, you know, your business will survive here even should the worst happen. This has been Think Revelstoke, presented by Tourism Revelstoke and Destination Think. Our hosts are Robin Goldsmith and Rodney Payne. This episode has been produced and has theme music composed by me, David Archer. 
Lindsay Payne and Annika Rautiola provided production support. Our show comes from the beautiful city of Revelstoke, British Columbia, Canada, located on the land of the Sinaixt, the Shishwetmek, the Silks, and the Tunaha. You can help more people find this show by subscribing to future episodes and by leaving a review. Next time, we'll hear from local residents about Revelstoke's visitor experience, the quality of life, and how the two are linked. See you then.